Revelation chapter 5. You guys read ahead? Yeah, that's a big mm-hmm from everybody. I want to look at the first seven verses here. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Now, this would be a scroll written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the scroll, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the scroll, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders, he recognizes him, saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, the scroll, and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the spirits of God sent forth into all of the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Then next week, all of heaven breaks loose. You hear of all hell breaking loose. It doesn't matter here. All of heaven breaks loose when he takes that scroll. We want to see that. So remember our scene. John is in heaven. Uh, He's gone forward to the day of the Lord. He's a time traveler, I believe, at at this scene. Now he's been caught up to heaven, and he's there at the throne of God. Throne of God, he gives us no human likeness in regards to God. He says he was like a jasper stone, sort of like a diamond, like a ruby, these brilliant white and red streaks streaming out into eternity. He said, I knew he was sitting though, on a throne. And the only other description he gives us is here, in his right hand. So he sees a hand. In his right hand, there is a scroll written on the the inside and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Now, understand as we go through these verses, we're going to be there soon. John, no doubt, is there in the spirit. He tells us that. Then John would go back to Ephesus and he would die an old man and go to glory. His body is laying in the ground now. He's in heaven. But when the Lord descends with the shout, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, John's getting up too with us and we're all going and we're going to be in the middle of this. John in this scene is somewhere between the rapture of the church. We saw that in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 10. We see it in our passage here. We're going to see it in the rest of the chapter. The church is in heaven at this point in time. And this transpires somewhere between the rapture of the church and the opening of the seven seals, the beginning of the tribulation, the seven-year period, the 70th week of Daniel. It's that interim. We're going to stand there. We're going to see this. I'm not saying the Lord is coming today, but 
You don't think we canceled the prayer meeting for nothing, do you? No, no. I'm not saying the Lord's coming today. He could, obviously, he could. I mean, that's where we are. And and he says it's going to be unexpected, like a thief in the night, you know. Um, so this scene. Now, here here's a remarkable picture. It says the scroll was not in a P, upon his hand. It's the same word it says he's sitting upon a throne. So John sees an open palm, an open hand with a scroll on it. Now, sometimes reading the quote-unquote scholars are torturous. They're just, you know, I read these guys say, well, it can't be a scroll. It had to be a book because if it was a scroll, it would have rolled off of his hand. I'm thinking, this is God. He invented gravity. He, he, he invented circles. What are you talking about? God can't keep a scroll. He kept you in his hand. Why couldn't he keep a scroll in his hand, you know? And they well, it has to be a book. No, books, you know, with leaves, the codex didn't start to be used until in the second century. At this point, a scroll is what they knew. And no doubt, this Jewish apostle recognizes that this scroll is the title deed to earth. Jeremiah chapter 32 tells us there. Jeremiah says, the Lord spoke to me and said, your uncle's son, which is a cousin, Hanamiel, he's going to come to you and he's going to offer you his piece of ground. Jeremiah could buy it because he was a kinsman redeemer. He was a goel. You are allowed to take a piece of property and redeem it if you were related to the person who was going to give it up. And of course, that's what Christ has done. He's our goel. He's come and purchased the possession and the title deed of earth is his. And Jeremiah says, well, I was sitting there, and then he said, then my cousin came. And then I said, then I knew the Lord was speaking to me again, which is encouragement, because sometimes I'm not sure if he's speaking to me or not. And I think, Jeremiah, you're a prophet. You're not sure. It takes the pressure off of me. But he said, then when it happened, he said, ah, oh, that was you, Lord, talking to me. And then Hanamiel offers him this piece of land in Anathoth. Now, you look over the walls of Jerusalem, and the city is surrounded with Nebuchadnezzar's armies. Anathoth was under the feet of usurpers. There was, what was it worth? You know, the, the, the usurpers were there, had taken it over. And that's like our picture here. Because it's after the rapture, all the salt and all the light have left the earth. You think things are crazy out there now? You think things are crazy now? You know, isn't it crazy saying, we don't think the church should meet. We don't want the church around. I'm thinking, Lord, they don't want us around. Would you please answer their prayer? You know. <laughs> You know, imagine what this world's going to be like when the salt and the light leave, if you think it's crazy now. And the, the, the church is having this scene, and, and John understands, like Jeremiah said, okay, the, 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 the army's out there, the, the Anathoth is, has the usurpers all over it, that it doesn't belong to them, and God said, you buy it. Because in 70 years, I'm, I'm, coming, I'm bringing back the people to the land, and it's going to be yours. So Jeremiah said he bought the land in faith, believing that it would be ultimately where it should be. And he says that he wrote on a scroll the information about the inheritance, and then sealed it. And then on an open piece of, of papyrus or skin, he writes the requirements for opening, and they're both buried together. 
And then after 70 years, when we come back, you would dig that up. And here the scroll is written within and without. No doubt within, it describes the inheritance. And on the outside, it would describe the requirements to open it. Now, it says it's sealed with seven seals. You should, you should read the scholars wrestling with that. Okay, is it, is it seven seals across the front, down the edge? Because if it is, then how does the scroll open? Because he opens one seal, and the white horse goes to go open. The next seal, and the black horse, oh, uh, red horse. Next seal, the black horse. You know, it doesn't, so it must be sealed consecutively so that it keeps getting unsealed as you unroll it. And I'm thinking, guys, take a break, will you? You know, he sees a scroll with seven seals. Does it have to fit your intellect to work? You know, I mean, he's going to say, you know, he said to me, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He said, I turn around, there was a lamb there. It wasn't a lion. Then the lamb came and took the scroll out of his father's hand with a hoof. And lambs don't ride horses. In chapter 19, he returns on a, on a horse out of heaven, you know. So these are images, they're pictures, they're speaking. He says in the first chapter, they're symbols, they're signs. And he sees this scroll, and it's sealed with seven seals, and it's sitting on the right hand. And that's all he sees of the one who's on the throne is the right hand, and this is extended. Interesting, Roman law demanded in an inheritance, you would have a scroll that it had to be sealed with seven seals. Same thing. The inside described the inheritance, the outside the requirements to open it. So interesting picture. And then he says this in verse 2, And I saw a strong angel. Now, you're going to see him soon, so pay attention, please. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy... To open the scroll, scroll and to loose the seven seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in the earth, nor under the earth, celestial, terrestrial, you know, these different realms, uh, eternal, just no man was found worthy to open the scroll, neither to look thereon, and I wept much. So John says all of a sudden everything's interrupted not a strong angel a mighty angel by this mighty angel we're going to meet a mighty angel in chapter 10 verse 1 halfway through the tribulation period we need a, we're going to meet another one in 18 verse 1 when the tribulation is coming to an end and babylon's going to be destroyed this mighty angel stands up doesn't say it's gabriel or michael if it was, it probably normally we get their names when they're doing something. It's just a mighty angel. He stands up and he throws down the gauntlet. He makes a challenge. Who is worthy to to take the scroll and to loose the seven seals thereof and to look thereon? And there's silence. There's silence. Look, we're going to be there when this happens. Don't be surprised. When we get caught up to heaven in the rapture, what's the first thing we're going to see? Are we going to see Jesus like a lamb? Is that the first thing we're going to see? Or are we going to see a mighty angel stand up to set the stage for seeing him and say, who's worthy? He screams out, who's worthy? Open the scroll, mighty angel, mighty voice. And there's dead silence. Nobody can stop. He doesn't say who is willing 
That's easier. Pharaoh was willing. Nebuchadnezzar was willing. Caesar was willing. Napoleon was willing. Hitler was willing. The Antichrist would be willing. Bill Gates is willing. You know, there's all kinds of people willing to take the title deed to the earth. It doesn't say who is willing. He said, who is worthy? Who is worthy? And there's silence. He says, no man was found worthy. Now, the, the Greek there is no one, but it is masculine. And it actually says, audace, the, the O-U is no not, day, the D-E is even, and the ice at the end is one. No, not even one in the masculine was found worthy. So nobody's found worthy. Not not angels. Gabriel and Michael don't speak up here. Hey, I'm you know, you don't hear from them. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Ezekiel, and Isaiah, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John. He's in the scene, not worthy. No man, no one in heaven. Look, you, you guys that are post-tribulationists, we got men in heaven here before the tribulation begins. No man in heaven, not no, not one, on the earth. Obviously, there'll be men on earth at that point in time. Under the earth, Hades. In, in every realm, no one answers. And John says, when I saw that, I began to weep. It, it means weep loudly, and it's in the perfect tense. It's a continual weeping. Is it the first time there's a man weeping in heaven? Has this ever happened before? John begins to sob, convulse, and it's loud, and it's continuous. Because no, not one man was found worthy to open the scroll, to break the seals, to look thereon. And John, of course, knows as he's there in the spirit, he told us in chapter 4. And the Lord said, I'm going to show you things that must be hereafter. And he understands none of those things are realized unless that scroll is opened. And John is not disappointed because his curiosity is killing him and he wants to see what it says in there. He knows this is the plan of the ages. This is the work of redemption on the cross working out in human history and then on into eternity. This is everything that the Lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world secured. This is our kinsman, and it's why Christ had to come in human flesh and walk among us, because the search is made no man in heaven, on the earth, or under. That had to be a human to take the title deed of earth. Hence the incarnation. And he hears nobody's found, and he begins sobbing and weeping, because he knows the implications of that. This is sealed literally tightly 
There's no additions to be made. It is complete in and of itself. It doesn't need to be altered in any way or changed. And of all of Adam's ruined race, billions upon billions of human beings and innumerable angels and cherubim, nobody's worthy. The scroll is sealed. And John says he wept. He began to sob. He wept much. No one was found worthy to read the book, to look thereon. And then he tells us this in verse 5. And one of the elders, so we're going to recognize people there. In another place, he's going to say, well, one of the angels had told me this before. No, he's already making friends, all right? When we get to heaven, people say that. Are we going to recognize each other? You know, honey, you know, I know we're not going to be married, but are we going to recognize? Of course, honey, we're not going to be dumber in heaven than we are on earth. Yeah, we're going to recognize. Peter recognized, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah with Jesus. Nobody introduced them. They didn't have stickers on, you know. (laughs) And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not. Behold, John, this is an imperative. You need to consider this. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed. Now he's overcome. That's the word that's used, Nikeo, for the seven letters of seven churches to the one who overcomes, the one who prevails, the one who conquers. It says here, the lion of the tribe of Judah, Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is pronouncing, prophesying over his sons, says Judah is a lion's whelp. And the lion crouched down like a mature lion in the scene. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, the Jews understood, was a messianic picture. He says the lion of the tribe of Judah, very interesting, the root of David, because he'll be called the root and offspring of David. Because the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world, David and the Davidic kingdom came forth from him. And yet in human lineage, he's the root, but he's also the offspring of David. He's divine. So he says the root of David, Isaiah 11, verse 1, he hath prevailed the divine vanquisher of death. He hath prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals thereof. It's interesting. The, the, the elder comes and said, John, stop. We've got to stop. Stop it. It's an imperative. Stop crying. And, and it's no doubt with great compassion, and there's a sense they're not necessary here. You, you, you don't need to weep here because there's something you need to understand There's something you need to see. And it's interesting. It's one of the elders. It's not an angel. It's somebody who experienced the rapture, someone who understands human emotion. One of the elders come and say, stop crying. And you need to consider this. Behold, there is someone, in fact, who has prevailed, who has conquered. And they're worthy to open the scroll. And John tells us this. Look in verse 6. And then I beheld, I looked, and lo. Is it not enough for him to say, you know, the, before that, the elder said, you need to behold. 
imperative. You got to do this. You got to look. You got to consider. So he said, so I did. I beheld. I looked and considered. But it isn't enough just to say that. He's got to put a low on it. Low. That's Greek for whoa. We used to say maron, right? This is whoa. You know, I beheld and whoa, a lamb. You know, you're thinking, this is heaven. There should be one place you can trust what somebody tells you, right? The lion. Oh, the lion of Judah. Lamb? You know, isn't it interesting? It's that you couldn't have a greater contrast between the lion and the lamb. So remarkably, Christ is both, you know. He says, I turned, I beheld, and lo, I like that. In the midst, you want to take note of that, of the throne. God was on the throne, but here in the midst of the throne now is the Lamb. And in the midst of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb. Very important. This Lamb is standing with the marks of slaughter upon it. In other words, this Lamb should be laying dead on the ground. But this is a Lamb standing with the marks of slaughter Upon it, literally, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God gone into all the earth. So he says, I turn to look, and there in the middle of everything, there's a lamb standing, bloody. That's the first look you and I are going to have of him soon. First experience in heaven might be. Who is worthy to take the book and open it? That introduction may be heaven's introduction so that when we look and we realize, well, no, he's the only one, no one else. And he says, I see a lamb standing there. Now look, this word is used in the Greek Old Testament, the Septuagint, only twice. Like a lamb before his shears is done, so he opened not his mouth, Isaiah 53, 7, one other place. And it's only used once. Jesus is called, I think, three other times that speaks of him as the lamb. But this diminutive form, only in John, and then here in Revelation, 28 times. This is the description Jesus takes of himself. It's his favorite. He's dictating. John's writing. 28 times he calls himself the lamb of God. Would you like that on your letterhead? You know, how about uh, the almighty? That's a nice ring to it. You know, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. You know, would you want on your letterhead, Lamb? Just think. He turns to see this lion, and there's a lamb standing there bloody with the marks of slaughter upon him. Isn't it interesting? And that is what stills John. It's what stops his weeping. Even in heaven, without the Lamb in the middle of everything, heaven is insufficient with angels, with glory, with all of this. It isn't until he sees the Lamb in the How did he miss the Lamb? How did he miss it? It says he was in the middle of the elders, in the middle of the angels, in the middle of the cherubim, in the middle of the throne. He had been giving us the whole description. How could he miss it? 
How can you miss the lamb? I mean, when you're watching COVID and you're watching the news and you're watching the globalists and you're watching the vaccines and you're watching the economy fall apart and you're watching them trying to get us out of the church. Don't miss the lamb, please. He's in the middle of it all. In the midst of the elders, in the midst of the throne, in the midst of the cherubim, in the midst of time, in the midst of eternity, in the midst of all of our lives, all of our difficulties, all of our sin, thank God, in the midst of everything, there's a lamb standing, resurrected with the marks of slaughter upon him. How remarkable. How beautiful. And you know, I think for you and I today, we have to remember that. Washington ain't the middle of what's going on. There's a lot of people willing to take the title deed of earth. None of them are worthy. There's only one, and he's going to do it, and we're going to see it. We're going to see it. He says, I turned and I saw this lamb with the marks of slaughter. You know, it's kind of like we get there, we're going to see that and go, you know, what a relief. Because I thought for sure I was going to get here say something stupid, get kicked out in the first week. You know, it says the corruption will put on incorruption, mortal will put on immortality. And the great news when we get there, there ain't nobody found worthy. I know you thought it had to be you. You ain't. So you might as well forget, you know. And you know Christians that do that. I'm not worthy to go to heaven. No kidding. The Bible says that. Just forget it. Enjoy the, 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 the blood of Christ. No man was found worthy. Again, none of the saints, none of the prophets who saw the future in different ways could open this scroll. Nobody was found worthy. That's why there's a lamb in the middle with the marks of slaughter. Because no man was found worthy. And it says this lamb, this diminutive form. Now, it's some translate little lamb. It's the idea of a firstling of a flock that would be the lamb that would be sacrificed. This young diminutive form, this young lamb. He says, and I looked at him and he had seven horns and seven eyes. Horns through the scripture, particularly the Old Testament, are a symbol of authority and power and government and kingship. And with seven horns, the idea is this lamb was omnipotent. He was all-powerful. Seven eyes, he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He sees everything. So he says, yes, it was a lamb. It was a, it was a small lamb standing with the marks of slaughter upon him. But this lamb was all-powerful and all-knowing. And he has vanquished death on your behalf and on my behalf. I am so thankful that in the middle of my life there is a lamb slaughtered. That's all-powerful. Satan can't come and accuse me. He's all-powerful. And he's all-knowing. And he's going to open the scroll. And my future's in there too. And yours too. He's going to open it. And the ball's going to start to roll. As I look at this, it's amazing. And then it says that he came... And he took the scroll out of the right hand 
of his father. You can't do that with a hoof. This lamb reaches out a nail-pierced hand. And he takes the scroll from his father. Psalm 2 says, I will declare the decree of the Lord. He has said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the nations for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. And he's going to break them in pieces. This lamb. You know, one guy I read said, This is the greatest close of escrow in eternity. You know, he comes and he takes the title deed, he takes the scroll. What was that like? We don't see the Father. We just see his hand. We don't see the Son. We see a lamb. Except when he reaches to take the scroll. Then we have a nail-pierced hand taking the scroll from his Father. What measure of love was there? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But the love that he has for his son is immeasurable. And the love that the son has for the father is immeasurable. And the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world and came forth in the fullness of time and he died in our place. And it was so that he could approach his father and take the scroll. This is the whole purpose of a loving God and a loving son and a Holy Spirit that works on our behalf that goes through the whole earth and God knows everything that's going on everywhere and the spirit doesn't speak of himself he takes the things of Christ and he gives them to us as I pray he's giving them to us this morning and the measure of what's happening in that scene to me though so brief is unimaginable that nail pierced hand taking the plan of the ages rightfully now his to measure out the father what delight must be in the father's heart at this point when that nail pierced hand comes forward what delight in the heart of the son honoring the father having laid down his life knowing it was the father's will to do the will of the one who sent me. And here's the crux of it in so many ways. Here's, here's the crux of it. And when he takes that scroll, the songs start to go. I have a whole book at home called The Songs of Heaven, and it's just on the songs in Revelation. 
pray for me. It's too much to read. It makes me crazy trying to get all this. But, you know, just this is when all of heaven erupts when he takes his scroll. So read ahead. Now, if it ha- if the rapture comes this week, you don't have to read ahead. You'll be there. But at least you have the first half of the chapter down. Okay? You'll be able to say to the person next to you, okay, this angel's going to scream, brace yourself. <laughs> Don't cry. You have to understand what's going to happen in verse 6. <laughs> We're going to be in this scene shortly. I, I don't doubt that at all. How much time could be left between now and an invasion of Israel by Russia and Iran by this whole thing starting up the church being removed and Antichrist coming to make a seven year peace treaty with Israel that's the beginning of that's chapter 6 verse 1 we're going to be caught up into this scene which is the stage is set the scene is around us I really need to remember, because here's the other thing. With this pandemic, with everything that's going on, I find that the stress of that somehow is eating me alive. It's unending. So sometimes I'm crabbier and more selfish than I've ever been. Not really. I'm just saying that for your benefit, because I know how know how you all are responding. But, you know, it just, because you, 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 I feel like, you know, my my endurance is a little worn, my bearing up under this, I'm getting a little weary of it. You know, I wake up in the morning, do I really want to get out of bed for another COVID day? You know, just what's happening with the election? What's happening with the globalists? What's happening around the world? It's all so crazy. You know, and and I think, you know, personally, in my own life, I can't be like John saying, how did I miss the lamb? He was in the middle of everything. The guy had to tell me to look over. How can I miss him? You know, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get up and say, oh, Lord, how can I have missed what you were doing? You were in the middle of all that. You're just, you know, in the middle of our day today, in the middle of our week this week, in the middle of our difficulties, in the middle of our suffering, in the middle of our illness, in the middle of our joys, in the middle of our sorrows, and thank God in the middle of of my imperfections and my failings, there's a lamb with the marks of slaughter. He's the king of kings, the lord of lords. He's coming with great power as he unfolds this scroll, which tells out his right and his ownership to the future, to this earth, to mankind, to the nations, to the millennium, to a new heavens and a new earth, to time and eternity. Amazing. You there? Okay. So let's all pray we don't get to finish Revelation on earth. We get to finish it in heaven. Okay? Let's stand. Let's pray together. Please read ahead. There's some songs you have to learn. If we're still here, you can learn the words to these songs now. And I want to make sure you get them right because the scholars mess them all up. So I want to make sure next week we'll go there. I want you to be able to sing the right words. It's not a lot of words, but you should you should know them. Because I watch some of you here sing. It's like <laughs> looking around, you know. No, you want to know them. Father, we thank you for these things, Lord. We bring our hearts before you, Lord. We thank you for humor, Lord. We thank you that we can 
gather, that we can laugh together, weep together. Lord, emotions, no doubt, are from you. You create us in your image and likeness. But there's so much here that stills us, Lord. There's such depth. There's so much that settles into us. There's so many parts and pieces of this that we take and realize we're so imperceptive sometimes. Lord, give us your word. Let these things be alive in us, Lord, for our wives, for our husbands, our parents, our children, our grandkids, our neighbors, Lord, our co-laborers, Lord, our Christian brothers and sisters. Make us rich, Lord, in these things, able to give an answer to every man who asks us about the hope that we have. Lord, you said when the Spirit came, he would take things of the future and he would show them to us, things that are to come. Make these things real to us, Father, by the power of your Spirit, for the glory of Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.